0: Man to man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Monday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Plenty of questions to answer, plenty of news developments to share. I'm going to repeat something, though, that I talked about earlier today on PFT Live as we still process the tragic events of Saturday. Now, 31 dead in a pair of shootings, El Paso, Texas, Dayton, Ohio. We're here to provide a break from what can be an exhausting process. The human mind can only take so much. The human soul can only take so much. At some point, you need to say enough, I'm going to do something else, I'm going to cleanse my brain of this, even if only for a little bit. It's so frustrating, it's so disheartening and at times it just feels hopeless that our new reality will ever change. And our new reality is a simple one. Every time you leave the house, the risks that you assume, car crash, plane crash, train crash, safe falls out of a third story window, any type of accidental death, one of the risks now includes the possibility that you will be Deliberately murdered by someone you don't know because you happen to be in the worst possible place at the worst possible time. Church, school, store, mall, concert, theater, any place humans gather. Soft targets are now being exploited, not by international terrorists, but by domestic terrorists. I have no answers. Other than to say, this is why we elect leaders. This is why people supposedly go into politics. I know the reality is that most people go into politics for their own personal financial gain or for ego. Hollywood for ugly people. Although, you have to be somewhat telegenic to be successful in politics. As Emmett Brown realized back in 1985 in the original Back to the Future. While processing the fact that Ronald Reagan, the actor, was the President of the United States. I always wrestle with in this new reality of politics, how many people who are drawn to politics are truly good leaders, as opposed to just being good politicians. And are the people who would truly have the skills and abilities to lead this country through some dark and difficult challenges, would those people be completely disinclined to be involved in politics? You can make a hell of a lot more money in private industry, and a hell of a lot less headaches with people not digging into your life and twisting your words and twisting your reality to make you look bad. For now though, we expect our leaders to lead. And if our leaders aren't going to lead, we need to elect leaders who will lead. And hopefully there are leaders out there, hopefully our collective wisdom in every electorate, state and federal, will spot the leaders. They'll manifest themselves. And these will be the people who eventually move towards solving this problem. It's going to take time. But trying something is better than doing nothing. And I feel like we've accepted every time one of these tragedies happen and it feels like now's the time. Things are going to change. It doesn't change. You get numb to it. You just accept it. Up. Oh, well, hey, this is how it goes. So every time I go to church, school, theater, concert, grocery store, mall, Walmart, wherever, I have to accept the possibility that it's going to be final episode of The Sopranos, lights out, fade to black, If only it happens that fast. Unfortunately, a lot of those people who get killed have to live through horror for their final moments on Earth. So, I really don't have specific thoughts. There may be some questions that bring me back around to it. We're all trying to process it as a people, and we should. And it's so discouraging to see it become as politicized as it has been, to the point where you can't express horror about the fact that it happened without being accused of being political. You can only express horror if you attach to it a point of view that agrees with the point of view of the person who's reacting to what you say. If you just generally say this is awful, oh, stick to sports, keep your left-wing propaganda out of here. What? Well, it's horrible that somebody went in and killed 22 people in Texas and nine in Dayton. That's horrible. It's not political. It's being a human. I'd like to think that there are people out there who have sufficient wisdom, intelligence, and goodwill to fix this. All right, on to the National Football League and how about this one? Now usually what happens is we learned a week or so ago with the Michael Thomas contract. The initial reporting that emerges regarding a player contract is inflated by the agent. The agent wants to make the deal look so good that sometimes the agent makes the deal look better than it actually is. And When that happens, the NFL reporters who are highly competitive and know that if you have a reputation for asking tough questions or exposing the BS that is in these contracts, you won't get the group text advising the reporters of the new contract and what it's worth through the skewed warped assessment of the agent. They go along with it. So a BS report gets out there, the truth eventually emerges, but by the time the truth of a deal comes out, nobody cares anymore. The world's moved on. Well, with Tom Brady's new contract, the same thing happened, but in a weird sort of way. It was almost like the initial reports of the terms of the contract were intended to create a mutual nothing-to-see-here vibe that both the team and the player would very much like to turn the page on any discussion regarding the possibility that Tom Brady would leave the Patriots after this season. Even though, based on the information that came out yesterday, it was still clear that there was a real possibility that Brady would leave the team after this season. Because to keep Brady around, based upon the details that came out yesterday, and the specific number came from Ian Rappaport of NFL Media... $30 million is the salary for next year. When you look at the cap savings for this year of $5.5 million on a two-year extension, that means $2.75 million in extra cap space next year. $32.75 million would have been the cap number under this contract. So, look, that's more than what the franchise tag would have been. But still, there was a sense that the Patriots had dibs on Brady after this year. That takes some of the steam out of this idea that Tom Brady was careening toward free agency in the final year of his contract. So that's the notion that got baked in to the overall NFL consciousness. Thanks to the multiple reports, and we spent time talking about it today on PFT Live, based upon those reports. I've been so critical of Don Yee over the years, I don't expect him to ever return a call, return a text, I was so critical of how he bungled the investigation of Tom Brady. There's no relationship there. And you know what? I'm not going to go out and try to create. Look, I, I feel what I feel, and I, I understand why he'd be upset. And as long as he's Tom Brady's agent, I expect to get nothing from him, and I don't even try. So I'll let others report that. I'd rather be honest with my opinions and honest with you as an audience and critical when I need to be, even if it means burning a bridge with a source. I really don't care about that as much as I care about being honest with you and being critical when I need to be. So, I didn't even try to get any of this. The truth comes out today me Ian Rappaport of the NFL. And look, I know it's bad form to speculate on sources, but when you have reporters who are working for the NFL, and the NFL has the actual contract, there aren't many dots to connect to get to the point where, especially when that extra information comes out a day later, that means somebody's gotten their eyes on the contract itself. And when you work for the league and the league has exclusive custody of the contract, I I, I don't think it takes a whole lot of brain power to connect the dots. Regardless, Rappaport reports today that this contract includes a clause that makes the next two years, 2020 and 2021, void on the last day of the 2019 league year. That will be middle of March. The day before free agency begins, boom. The next two years of the contract go away. And the Brady contract prevents the Patriots from applying the franchise tag or the transition tag, which means the first day of free agency, March of 2020, Tom Brady becomes an unrestricted free agent, period. Now, there's only one way around that. And I still don't understand the niceties and nuances of the rule that prevents a team from renegotiating a contract under certain circumstances for 12 months, calendar year. The Julio Jones twist that you have to wait 12 months, 365 days, to get to the point where that deal can be renegotiated. I'm told that this Brady contract can be renegotiated, can be extended, and maybe it's because it's got this void in it. I don't know. But if the Patriots and Brady decide at some point between the end of the regular season or the end of the postseason, it would be foolish to assume the Patriots won't make it to the postseason, but crazier things have happened, Whenever New England season ends, or really anytime during the season, anytime between now and the last day of the league year, middle of March, they can work out a new arrangement. The Patriots have exclusive negotiating rights. But here's the reality. Now that the cat's out of the bag, if you're a team that has needs at quarterback for 2020, and you're willing to do that Brett Favre dance with the devil like the Vikings did in 2009, and then they shouldn't have done it in 2010, but they couldn't resist. And you're intrigued by what Tom Brady can do for you as a business proposition. The amount of money he can create, tickets he can sell, stadium luxury suites that he can move, jerseys by the tens of thousands, we'll worry about football later. For now, this guy is going to be a money printing machine. So, they're all on notice. I'm looking at the grid of the two conferences, four divisions per conference, four teams per division. And let's just spitball on who might be willing to write that gigantic check to Brady because that will result in plenty of Checks being written and other cash transactions and debit card transactions flowing toward the team in question. First team I look at, Miami Dolphins. Unless they are sold on Josh Rosen after this season, could you imagine Tom Brady with former Patriots assistant Brian Flores and Chad O'Shea is there running the offense at the same system for one year in the same division as the Patriots? That would be the ballsiest move by Brady if he would leave the Patriots, would be to go head-to-head in the same division against the New England Patriots. Elsewhere, AFC North, the Bengals are the only team that probably will need a quarterback next year. Ben Roethlisberger's all in for the next three seasons. I don't see any opportunity there. The AFC South, I really don't see anything there unless the Titans would load up the cannon for Tom Brady. Reunited with former teammate Mike Vrabel, a guy to whom Brady has thrown touchdown passes in the Super Bowl. That would be intriguing. The AFC West, I don't see anything there. You know, there's speculation about Tom Brady eventually returning to the Bay Area. Now the Raiders will be gone, barring an unexpected delay in their stadium construction. The Raiders are the only team that would remotely, of those four, be candidates in my view. Although the Chargers could be. Phillip Rivers retires. Would you nudge Phillip Rivers into retirement if you were the Chargers for one year or two with Tom Brady? Maybe you would. NFC East? I don't see any candidates there. Unless the Giants would decide. They don't want Eli Manning, but Daniel Jones isn't ready, so let's go for a year with Tom Brady. The guy that the Giants managed to beat in two Super Bowls. Put them together, although I don't think that Brady would be interested in that. There's something to be said, though, for finishing your career in the biggest media market in the world. NFC North, he's bedeviled all these teams. None of them are going to need quarterbacks, unless the Lions, Matt Patricia, they decide to move on from Matthew Stafford. Hey, it's another former Patriot. And the Vikings did it 11 years ago with Drew Brees, 10 years ago. It will be 11 years ago by the time, not Drew Brees, with with Brett Favre. Kirk Cousins doesn't work out this year, and you know that scenario where Cousins gets traded to the 49ers. Vikings would need a quarterback. uh, uh, Tom Brady has destroyed the Vikings every time he's faced them. NFC South. I mean, if Drew Brees would retire, Sean Payton and Tom Brady together for a year. Bruce Arians and Tom Brady together for a year in Tampa if they move on from Jameis Winston. And in the West, the 49ers are a team he's been linked to because he grew up a 49ers fan. Everybody else is under control. Everybody else has their franchise quarterback. Although, you know, I look, I the Rams say that Jared Goff's their guy, and I can't imagine that the Rams would swap out Goff for Brady. Regardless, to the extent that the goal was to get people to buy into the idea that Tom Brady will not be a free agent, the postscript to the reporting that was woefully incomplete from Sunday is that Tom Brady will be a free agent, unless and until a new contract is signed before this one voids by its own terms in March of 2020. So, look, I'd still be stunned if Tom Brady is playing for any team other than the Patriots. And, you know, I was speculating today on PFT Live that the Crafts, I think, will do everything they can to avoid a Peyton Manning, Brett Favre type of a I'm going to go play for another team. And both franchises, Packers and the Colts, would have loved to find a way to get their franchise quarterbacks to leave and never play for anyone else. That's what the Packers tried to engineer. Remember, Jim Irsay leaked to Rob Lowe that, Jim, that uh, Peyton Manning was going to retire that's what you want ideally you don't want to have to worry about your franchise quarterback making you look bad by performing extremely well with another team and if the crafts have a, an offer that brady can't refuse for some sort of post-playing career consulting gig brand ambassador with a little equity as compensation salary cap at that point doesn't matter I see that the Ravens have pulled off the, hey, we're going to cut this guy, and then you wait for the phone to ring, and you get something for him of value instead of cutting him. Now, the Ravens ended up getting a conditional seventh-round pick for Alex Lewis in a trade that sends him to the Jets, but it's something. And we see that happen every year, a couple of times. Instead of just cutting the guy, you get the news out there that the guy's going to be cut, and then you just wait for the phone to ring. It's, It's genius. How about this one regarding the Cleveland Browns? Freddie Kitchens says this regarding leaks out of the Browns organization. The days of inside information and the days of unnamed sources and stuff like that have ended. So you're not going to get information like that ever. Anybody. And if I ever see it, they're fired immediately. That's the way we're running this organization. Here's the thing. Freddie How are you going to know that anyone is leaking? And really, I would think that the approach with any NFL team would be the same thing. If they catch you leaking, they will fire you. He's almost daring some of his assistants to leak information. Because if you do it discreetly, you never get caught. And it's human nature. When we have information to share that information. There was a theory making the rounds earlier this year and I never wrote about it at PFT. I was never able to nail it down, but I can at least share the theory. The theory was this, and again it was just a theory, a suspicion. Remember when the report emerged from Shefty that the Browns were considering Condoleezza Rice as a potential head coach of the team. And then John Dorsey, the GM of the team, immediately shot it down with an on-the-record statement. There was a suspicion, a theory, a hypothesis in league circles that Dorsey deliberately leaked that to suspected leakers in the building in order to find out who was leaking. Now, I don't know if anyone was fired. I don't know whether or not the reason given for someone leaving was cover for the fact that the person actually leaked this information. But the suspicion, the theory, the hypothesis was that Dorsey leaked it in order to track back who it was that was leaking. And that's something that Freddie Kitchens could do. That's how you catch somebody. You leak false information to a select person. And once that comes out, you know. It's really not that difficult. Pick a position on the Browns. Player gets injured. Let's say running back gets injured. I don't want to jinx anybody, but i got to pick one. Nick Chubb gets injured. Freddie Kitchens tells five different assistants, five different names as to who... Is being considered. Whichever name makes it to the media or names that tells you who's leaking. Now, I guess it's possible that someone who has that information would tell someone else in the building, and that person then leaks it. Look, I think the better reality is to just accept the fact that there are going to be leaks, accept it. This is the way it works. And the harder you try to slam the door on it, the more frustrated you're going to be. I remember when Eric Mangini was the coach of the Browns, and he was determined to keep quiet the identity of Week 1 starting quarterback. Determined. Well, eventually you're going to have your practice on Wednesday where the quarterback who's going to start on Sunday gets the bulk, if not all, of the first-team reps. How do you keep everyone who is at practice witnessing that from shutting their mouths, and how do you find out who actually talked? So you're just going to drive yourself crazy if you do that. I, I just don't know that that, that this is the best, best use of the overall resources that Freddie Kitchens has. And the overall amount of time he has to worry about his job. Alright. One last point before I answer some of your questions. Allegiant Stadium, that's where the Raiders will be playing. Now look, Allegiant is a low-cost budget airline, and it was the subject of a 60-minutes profile that really criticized the safety record. I just, I I don't know who else was in the running to put their name on this stadium, but I'd like to think that these teams are a little more selective, that it's not just a money grab. Now, the reality is Las Vegas is a, a major Allegiant destination. Because what they do is, they and they, there's an Allegiant plane, an MD-80, that flies out of the airport five minutes from my house straight to Orlando. And I think they have one that goes to Myrtle Beach every week. Thursday and Sunday, flight to Orlando. They put these low-cost airlines, no-frills airlines, that's what they called them back in the 70s when the concept first emerged. They put them in these cities where there isn't a major airport, but there's enough of a demand for people to go to these destinations. And Las Vegas is one of the big destinations for a lot of these places. So look, the bottom line is, as I said, and and I'm choosing my words carefully here, but you would think that NFL teams would be a little more selective when it comes to the quality of the brand that they're taking their money from. And it makes me wonder Number one, how much they're paying. And number two, whether there was just no one else interested. I'm surprised it wasn't a casino or some other sports book or something. FanDuel Stadium. DraftKings Stadium. MGM Stadium. Interested to see what what the numbers are. And I don't think the numbers have been reported. They have not been. And, you know, it's funny how we just assume that naming rights are some sort of a cash cow. I mean, look look at uh, Mile High Stadium. Ever since the Sports Authority went out of business, they haven't been able to find anyone, anyone at all, to buy those naming rights. And it took the Cowboys several years before they could get AT&T to buy the naming rights. You have to ask yourself, how much do you compromise your price point? Are you just making a money grab? I just kind of feel like they're making a money grab here. That Allegiant's the only company that was willing to pay a significant amount of money. So instead of waiting for someone to say, oh, yeah, it's a pretty nice stadium. Oh, hey, the, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders are doing well. Oh, yeah, we'll pay the number you want. I, I just My gut tells me that the best offer came from Allegiant and the Raiders just jumped on it. All right, let's answer some of your questions. BFTPM Policy, could Jason Garrett or any lame duck head coach interview for a head coaching job if he's in the playoffs without a new contract? No, because his contract doesn't expire until the season ends. That one's simple. Could they all be that easy? The answer is no. Fittison Kane, does the league have any sort of deadline, timeline, or precedent with how long it takes to determine whether a player gets reinstated? I assume the question relates to reinstatement from a substance abuse policy suspension. The answer is there is none. This bubbled up a couple of years ago because... There was an erroneous report from one of the major national reporters that when Alden Smith, I believe it was, had applied for reinstatement, a decision was mandated within 60 days. And I went and looked at the policy, and it doesn't say a decision is mandated in 60 days. It says that everyone who has any responsibility to compile information that the commissioner would use for the basis of making a decision on reinstatement must turn the information around to permit a decision within 60 days but it never requires a decision within 60 days. And based upon some of the research I did there and some of the information I developed, it was deliberate. The commissioner has the exclusive power to determine when, and he can let these things sit as long as he wants. And every time he does that, it is a reminder to the NFL Players Association of the significant power that the NFL has in these matters. Now, balancing that out, the perceived urgency of the NFL to get great players on the field. It's good for the game if highly talented players are available to play. A red zone out because Todd Gurley and the uncertainty surrounding his health set an unrealistic bar for other running backs seeking new contracts. It's a risk now, and it's probably one of the reasons why the Cowboys don't want to sign Ezekiel Elliott now and would prefer to wait a year. Because if the Rams had waited a year, they would not have signed Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley was brilliant to get that deal done when he did. But this is one of the risks of running backs. Now, look, Ezekiel Elliott doesn't have the same torn ACL that Gurley had in college, but... And and I I can't remember who I was debating this with online. It may have been Bucky Brooks of NFL.com. He made the argument that any player is one play away from having their career end, and I guess in theory that's accurate, but it's the running backs who are getting pounded Pounded. They are the giant anvil in a magnet factory or the giant magnet in an anvil factory. Either way, it's not the best possible metaphor, but the idea is they get hit hard. They get banged around. And if any player is one play away from their career being permanently altered, it's a running back. A Red Zone Alk with the prospect of Tom Brady becoming a free agent because for Jimmy Garoppolo to raise his game in San Francisco. I'd hate to think that Jimmy Garoppolo... Needed the potential availability of Tom Brady as a free agent to get him to number one, stay healthy, and number two, play better. Playoff cap. What's your all-decade team of the 2010s? Do you really expect me to pull that out of my butt in real time? All-decade team of this decade. Well, we got one more season before this decade's over. I'll rattle some off off the top of my head. No particular order. Just whatever comes to mind here. Quarterback's got to be Tom Brady. Without question. Running back? You know, it's going to be hard not to lock on to the guys who are playing now. Is Adrian Peterson? I mean, look, he had the best season in the decade. And he's had several quality seasons. I'd say Adrian Peterson would be a viable candidate the number one tailback of the decade. Receivers, Julio Jones. There are plenty of other great ones. I would want to draw the lines fairly. I'd want to think about that some more. Tight end, Gronk. Left tackle, Joe Thomas. I'm going to get myself in trouble by making a mistake, forgetting someone who played more last decade than this decade. It's something you really want to sit down and research and really think about. I guess that hasn't stopped me from rattling off six or seven names. You know what? We'll do an all-decade team at some point at PFT, as long as I remember. James McDonough. Does John Gruden deserve the quarterback whisperer title? I'd rather have Bruce Arians, Andy Reid, Doug Peterson, et cetera, coaching my quarterbacks. John Gruden can be a very effective quarterbacks coach with the right quarterback, and it has to be a quarterback who can take the heat. I don't know that John Gruden, I mean, look, especially with young quarterbacks, what's he ever done with young quarterbacks? And the thinking when he was in Tampa is he's got no patience to develop a young quarterback. He wants a veteran. And I really think that Derek Carr and John Gruden are not a good mix. And I'm going to be watching Hard Knocks very carefully for any evidence of dysfunction between Carr and Gruden. And any sense that maybe Gruden is pulling punches with Carr. I think that's what happened last year. I think Gruden deliberately resisted being himself because he knew it potentially would cause Derek Carr to crumble. Sean Alveshire, while it's only preseason, do you think John Elway is now having sleepless nights after Drew Locke's performance in the Hall of Fame game? No, no. First of all, he's not going to be the starter this year unless Joe Flacco gets injured. It takes time. As long as he's not ruined. Giovanni Carmazzi was ruined after one preseason start in the Hall of Fame game. Not a start, but one performance. Steve Mariucci says that. And remember, Carmazzi, one of the guys taken while Brady was still on the board. And he was ruined by the Hall of Fame game in 2000 against Brady's Patriots. Sean Alvashar, if Michael Scott was NFL GM, who do you think he would hire as his head coach and draft or trade for to be his starting quarterback if every NFL player was hypothetically available? That is a very bizarre and specific question. I mean, Michael Scott is a guy who is regarded as a great salesman even though he has no self-awareness. So, Michael Scott would end up hiring a coach who would be motivated to come in and try to take over and Michael would have no idea. It would be a a, a head coach who would be very good at the Andy Bernard personality mirroring and ass-kissing and Michael Scott would be infatuated with that guy. That guy would come in and take over and Michael Scott wouldn't even realize he's lost power. Now, I don't know which coach would fall into that category, but that's the coach. And the quarterback, then it's up to the coach. Michael Scott wouldn't pick the quarterback, because the coach definitely would, because the coach would convince Michael Scott that that's the quarterback that Michael Scott wants. On tour forever, do you think Cliff Branch should be in the Hall of Fame? The only difference between his stats and John Stalwart's is one more Super Bowl ring, and Branch's stats are far better than Swans. I think Branch should be in. I don't know if there's an anti-raider bias, but I think he should be in. 72-85, to 85, a deep threat that surely forced teams to game plan for him, More than you'd game plan for other receivers back in that day. So, yes. On tour forever, should the NFL do something to force a salary cap floor on certain positions so that players can't get grossly underpaid like Tom Brady? The competitive advantage for him taking less is astronomical. But even if there's a salary cap floor for quarterbacks, what's it going to be? Yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but if you have a guy who is willing to take less Hey, he's willing to take less. What, do you, what can you do if he wants to take less? On tour forever, can you do another reading of the Hall of Fame entries that shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame? Perhaps you could start with entries in the 90s and go decade by decade. I, get, I, I look, it's not it's not that they shouldn't be in under the Hall of Fame's current standards for admission. My position is that the bar should be higher. That people who get in should be the no-brainers. And if it's a close call, they shouldn't be in. Now, T.O. was a close call only because the voters, or at least enough of the voters, didn't like him. He should have been a no-brainer. Brett Favre, no-brainer. The no-brainers are the ones who get in. If you're not a no-brainer, you shouldn't get in. It needs to be know it when you see it. It shouldn't require an argument. It shouldn't require debate. It shouldn't require the inherent political maneuverings of the selection committee. Speaking of that, I still can't believe they're doing this 15-person centennial class all or nothing. And good for Peter King for speaking out against it. Because they're going to end up wedging someone into that 15-person group who otherwise would not get in on his own like Paul Tagliabue. And my suspicion is, and I want to be very clear on this, it's a suspicion, it's a theory, it's kind of a human nature assessment. The current commissioner has no chance at getting in unless and until his predecessor gets in. So, if Tagliabue somehow gets in, then the current commissioner has an unimpeded shot to Canton. Who better to suggest to David Baker or whoever at the Hall of Fame that they do this 15-person, all-or-nothing centennial class in the commissioner, the current commissioner. And it can be couched as a favor to Tagliabue. The reality is it's a favor to the current commissioner as well. Because I don't know that Roger Goodell has any chance of getting in if Paul Tagliabue isn't already in. If Tagliabue does get in, it makes it easier for Goodell to get in. And again, that's just my, that was my cynical nature assessment of human nature in this setting. Because there's no reason for the Hall of Fame to dramatically change its procedures like this and have 15 people who are not subject to an individualized up or down vote. There's no reason to do it. And one thing I need to write at PFT, one thing I've been hearing, some of the voters are starting to come together and realize that all it takes is a 10-person block to say, we will vote no on this 15 Candidate, all or nothing, Centennial Concert. Not Centennial, I'm looking at the Tim McGraw free pregame concert. I guess there's a free, yeah, the, the Bucks are trying to sell tickets uh, to their opener by having a free Tim McGraw pregame concert. I don't know how many tickets are left to be sold, but uh, it sounds like this is an effort to try to get people to show up for the regular season opener. But anyway, the Centennial Class... Centennial class, the way that this thing is constructed is a mistake, and I think that if they don't change it, they are running the risk that at least 10 of the voters will vote no, regardless of how the class is constructed. CZ Wald, what's your least favorite part about being back from vacation? What's your favorite part and your least favorite part? I mean, look, the, the best part about coming back is the slow time ends. It's a challenge to come up with content when nothing is happening during that golf between the end of the offseason program and the start of training camp. It is invigorating when the camps open. That first Saturday or Sunday of camps being open last weekend, I busted my ass and it was fun. So my favorite part is, the work is a lot easier. Even though things slow down after the draft, May and June become a challenge to program a three-hour show, to come up with things for the podcast... PFTPM, this thing you're listening to here, to put enough stories on PFT. And then you start tracking the traffic to the website. Nothing big's happening. And you just kind of hope something big happens because you know it'll spike the traffic. And I, I like it better when there's a natural organic interest in August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April. Those are the months where the interest is high. May it starts to tail off. June it bottoms out. July. I'm surprised. We we matched our performance from last July and I'm amazed we matched it because the slow time was as slow as it's ever been. The 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 least favorite part about being back from vacation is, you know, the four weeks that PFT Live was shut down, I didn't have to take a nap. I could choose to take a nap. I didn't, I wasn't worn out in the middle of the day. And for example, and it hits me, I figured it out. It's about eight hours after I wake up that I need another one hour kicker. Cause I get about five hours at night and eight hours after I wake up is when the shades start to go down because I woke up at 3:30, 3:45 today and just couldn't get back to sleep. So I got to work on the website and about 11, 1130. It's like, that's it. I need my hour. And the hour worked, and it'll carry me through tonight, the night, and I'll get five hours, and I'll just keep doing that. But it's nice to get seven, and then carry it all the way through that. So I, my least favorite part is losing out on that ability to sleep seven hours unimpeded every night. I know I could just get to bed earlier, but good luck with that as a practical matter, especially when a lot of things are going on. Frank we are supposed to buy into the smoke Jerry's blowing about Alfred Morris. Also, A.B.'s feet look disgusting. You know, Chris Sims said today on PFT Live that that's not blisters. That's some kind of unidentified fungus. And that Sims had something like that. That you've got layers of skin peeling off. That that's not blistering. And that how can you how can you play? How can you run in cleats with that happening to your feet? Panthers-Austria, why don't the Chargers just allow Gordon to seek a trade but set their required compensation in advance with no room for negotiation? I highly doubt there is a team to give the Chargers appropriate compensation and pay Gordon what he wants. Look, I I think the reality is the Chargers have probably already made a few calls discreetly to see what the market would be. I I just think that once you let the player shop himself, you set the wheels in motion, you make it inevitable that he's going to leave. CZ Wall, do you have a good Don Banks story to share? That was a very sad shock, especially with you noting his new gig just the other day. I I didn't know Don Banks very well. Now, every time I encountered Don Banks, he was very nice to me, and in this business, that doesn't always happen. But he was always very nice, very polite, and I actually saw him last year in Canton in the hallway of the hotel where we stayed because Joe and I went up there because Shereen Williams got the Dick McCann Award. We went up for the Friday night festivities. Came back Saturday morning, but that Friday night after we got back to the hotel, I ran into Don Banks. And that was the last time I saw him. But he's always been very nice, very friendly, very polite, but I never really got to know him. And I was trying to articulate this today on PFT Live. I think if you are just a writer and not an owner of a media outlet, you have a different mindset when it kind that's still very competitive, but one of, the, one of the important benefits of having a strong network of people who work for other p- publications that you are friendly with, and it's easier to commiserate because you got to deal with editors and bosses and bullshit, and you may get laid off, and you may get your pay cut. And if you have a good network of people who you know at other publications, that may help you find a landing spot if and when you need one. But when you're the owner of the media outlet, there's a greater sense of competition. There's a greater sense of us against the world there's a stronger urgency and intensity to take care of your business. And for me, it's always been that. It's always been scratching and clawing and fighting. So I don't feel, you know, maybe I'm just justifying being an asshole that doesn't, you know, make a lot of friendships and relationships, but I, I focus on what I need to do I focus on the people that I work with. And and one of the things that I liked about practicing law in a firm was, to the extent that this could actually happen, everyone was in the same fort. Everyone was fighting against anyone on the outside walls. And you band together. Now, once I became a partner at a law firm, I realized it really isn't that way among the partners. There's a lot of fighting among the partners, and that just wasn't for me one of the reasons why I decided to practice law on my own and actually one of the major reasons how I ended up in this business cuz if I had never decided to practice law on my own I never would have stumbled into this this life but it's that same mentality it's us against the world and and it's 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 kind of, it's a it's not an unhealthy us against the world it's just a hey you know you're either on my team or you're not and if you're not on my team I'm going to have a a level of of uh, of shielding there's, there's going to be a, there's going to be a familiarity that never really develops. I'm never going to have a great friend who doesn't work for me, if that makes any sense. So I, there's a lot of people in the business that, you know, are polite and they seem nice and you talk from time to time and you, you know, you commiserate about things uh, unrelated to complaining about your editor or the boss, because I am the editor and the boss, but, uh, but, but still that that's, so that's, you know, I, cause I feel like everybody knew Don Banks a hell of a lot better than I did and, It's like, man, maybe I am an asshole, but I I just think it's, I've always kept the distance because my mentality is ownership of the media outlet that I write for. All right. So sorry, I really don't have a Don Banks story other than he was really nice to me and he really didn't have any reason to be, but he was always really nice to me. Paul PJ five, the Tom Brady contract is confusing. Is it an extension or is it not? Can you explain it like Oscar explained a surplus to Michael? I think this question was posted before the report came out that it's not an extension. It's it's made to look like an extension, it's not an extension. If anything, it is a more guaranteed path to freedom for Tom Brady after this season. Mike likes dirt. Who would win in a fight? Chris Sims or AFLO? Hey, Chris, Chris is a giant. Now, my son may be stronger, but Chris is a giant. And and he may look skinny. He's not. He's thick. Yeah, I, I, t- typically, professional athlete versus non-professional athlete, unless it's a kicker or a punter, sorry, Pat. I mean, Pat, I wouldn't mess with Pat McAfee. But a lot of these guys, like Martine Gramatica, like I think I'd take him. But for the most part, professional athlete, professional football player, other than punter, kicker, I wouldn't mess with him. CZ Wald, warning, national political non-football question, in your opinion, where do we start as a people in addressing and eventually ending these horrific mass shootings? I respect and appreciate your take on things. I mean, I've already talked about it. And there's really nothing else to add. I don't know where we start. I think it is, see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. When one side says it's about restricting access to guns, the other side shouts, no, it's not. When one side, when the other side says it's about mental health, the other side shouts, no, it's not. I think it can be a lot about a lot of things. And I think it requires a multi-pronged, multidisciplinary approach to addressing mental health issues, to limiting access to firearms, especially the people with any type of mental health issue, to looking at whether or not these weapons of war should be manufactured and sold. I mean, ultimately, the companies that make the guns want to sell stuff, just like anybody else. And there's reason to be cynical about car a car company. Every year they got a new model coming out. So when they have a redesign every five years, hey, immediately the car that you bought three years before is a piece of crap because you don't have the new one. New iPhone comes out immediately. The one that you have is a piece of crap. And remember there was a, a story about how they were engineering the batteries so they would crap out after a certain period of time? You know, the problem is as products get better and better... There's less of a reason to get rid of them, so they have to come up with a reason to get you to want the new one. And I think that similar mindset plays out. Now, I'm not a gun nut to this. step, well, i got to have that gun, got to have that gun. I'm not saying it's bad to be that way, as long as you don't have any harmful intention. But I think that the gun companies want to come up with ways to market more guns. They want, you know, hey, it's something different than what you have, so you want to buy it. This is really cool. I want to buy it. Take it to the range and fire it or whatever, but I want to buy this. Oh, I want to buy that. So I think there is, you know, at its core, a certain amount of good old-fashioned capitalism where the gun companies want people to buy these things. Nobody wants anyone to use them other than at a gun range, but that's the problem. All it takes is that one per... I, I was making the point earlier today. If there was a way to purchase tactical nuclear weapons some crazy SOB would buy one and use it. So where do you draw the line? Right, like you can't go buy a hand grenade. If you could buy a hand grenade at Walmart, there'd be some idiot that would buy a hand grenade and then turn around and roll it down the aisle. If you could buy a rocket launcher, somebody would buy one. Where's the line between what we can and can't buy? What we should and shouldn't be able to purchase? And that's where the Second Amendment surely collapses upon itself. But the NRA and the politicians have done a great job of scaring the people who want a reasonable degree of weaponry in the home, for protection, for hunting, whatever. They have scared them into thinking that any step taken toward limiting those rights is the first step toward removing all rights. And it's stupid. But, but good luck convincing the people who fear having their guns confiscated, losing the ability to buy new guns, new ammunition. When when President Obama was in office, there's an Italian club in Manhattan, and I'm going somewhere with this. There's an Italian club that Dan Patrick belongs to, and in the basement they have a shooting range. And we were there one night. Everybody from Football Night in America was there. And we were shooting a 22 caliber rifle with a, with a sight on it. And it was kind of fun because I, sh- I shoot clay pigeons and I suck at it because they're moving. And the idea of shooting at a target through that sight, and, and I did pretty well. It's like, you know, I'd kind of like to get a 22 caliber rifle and go do some target shooting somewhere. And apparently, well, back when Obama was president, you couldn't buy 22 caliber ammunition because anytime anyone got it, people hoarded it because they were fearful that all the gun laws were going to change and there'd be no way to buy this ammunition. So it's good for business. I bet bet after every mass shooting, when the conversation starts about restricting any type of access to assault weapons and other weapons of war, I bet there is a rush on buying those things because you better buy it now or you're not going to have it. All right, what's next? Uh, Reverend Markworth, you said this morning that next February the Patriots would need to do something to Brady to deal with the big cap number next year, but can they at that time, or will they have to wait until August for the one-year anniversary of this contract? I, I was told that they don't have to wait a year, and now based upon the voiding, et cetera, they, they, the contract goes away. So I, I'm told they will be able to sign him before the contract voids and, and, and they, the Patriots are smart enough to put this together in a way that they'd be able to do whatever they need to do to keep him around if they decide to keep him and he decides to stay then, then that'll happen Mike likes dirt should I have bought th- what is this Kiss Nesting Dolls should I have bought this founded at Quincy Market in Boston July 4th weekend hell yeah you should have bought it Mike likes dirt who throws more picks this year Jameis or Josh Allen good question Good question. I'm going to say Jameis. I'm going to say even though they're trying to engineer that, that inclination to take chances away from Jameis, I think it's baked in at this point. Gears of Ted, are the Colts or Bills the only realistic destinations that it would even make sense for Melvin Gordon to go to? Well, why the Bills? They got LeSean McCoy, Frank Gore, and they got that rookie they like. The Colts have Marlon Mack. The Colts resisted Le'Veon Bell. I don't think anybody's going to want to pay Melvin Gordon and give the Chargers something of value. Gears of Ted, does Dwayne Haskins see the field before week four in Washington? I don't know at this point. I really don't. Colt McCoy's the starter on the first unofficial depth chart. I think Haskins could be really good. I just think you want to be confident you can protect him. Now, people think he has no mobility because he doesn't run the ball as much as Stephen A. Smith thought he did, but he does have great mobility behind the line of scrimmage. He's a lot like Ben Roethlisberger in that way. Steph Boyardee, would you want to join our fantasy league this year? No. Thank you, but no. Gears of Ted, which NFC... And and let me explain why. It's a no-win proposition for me. Because if I do well, hey, yeah, you're, you're supposed to do well. And if I get stomped, hey, hey, we stomped the guy who's supposed to be the expert. And I'm, no, I'm not a fantasy expert, but I do use the knowledge I acquire through the course of reporting on the NFL and aggregating reports and being up on everything that's happening to guide my decision-making processes. But I, I'm in two leagues as it is, and I'm looking, not looking for any more. Gears of Ted, which NFC team will be the biggest surprise this year in your mind? Don't go to sleep on the lion's. The Detroit Lions, watch out for the Lions. I think in the NFC North, every team can win the division and every team can finish fourth and every spot in between. Apple 1, 2, 3, Apple 11. Why do you assume any Cowboy quarterback would be a good announcer? I, well, first of all, I mean, I I think that Dak Prescott would be a good announcer based upon what I've seen from him. I've interviewed him a couple of times and I think that a lot of guys would be competent announcers. The point is there's a greater attraction when there is a cowboy legacy that you're bringing to the booth. You've been the quarterback of America's team. You're better known than others. It's the profile that becomes attractive. I think the minimum requirements for that job are possessed by a lot of people. So I guess my point is Any Cowboys quarterback and really any NFL quarterback is going to be good enough if given the chance, if he wants to do it and if he's given the chance, should be good enough. If you thrived at any reasonable level in the NFL as a quarterback, you probably would be good at communicating, although Joe Montana was horrible. So it's not a hard and fast rule. Uncle P. Hill, does Ezekiel Elliott have the option of waiting until the Tuesday after week 10 in his back pocket as part of his holdout? Now, there is a deadline during the season where you have to show up in order to get credit for the contract year. If you wait too long and you can't show up at all, your contract tolls until next year. And so Elliott would show up before that deadline. Now, it gets a little bit screwy. It's usually around the trade deadline when you need to show up because there's a roster exemption that they can use and they can keep you from getting your six games. You need to get your six games in in order to get your credit for the contract no yeah it's something like i need i always learn it when i need to know it and then by the time i need to know it again i need to relearn it but there is some twist there where use of a roster exemption could keep the player from getting the required number of weeks i don't know that it's appearances in games but it's the required number of weeks on the roster in order to satisfy the contract year all right, uh, that's going to be it for today's PFTPM podcast. Until further notice, two, uh, three per week, Monday, and then either Tuesday or Wednesday, followed by either Thursday or Friday. That is going to be the flow, barring something significant that would justify basically an emergency PFTPM podcast. So we'll uh, we'll explore maybe a guest or two later this week. And we will be back either on Tuesday or on Wednesday, PFT Live tomorrow. Chris Sims is going to be in Cleveland. He's visiting Browns camp Tuesday, Steelers camp Wednesday. Shereen Williams joins PFT Live on Wednesday, Big Cat Thursday, and then Sims back on Friday. So it should be an interesting week as we get closer and closer to week one of the preseason. The games start Thursday night. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com, and we will talk to you soon.